Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. These chats are fun, informative, and hopefully always interesting. In today's episode, I speak with Elizabeth McKay, Chief Operating Officer at the London Transport Museum. Elizabeth shares how LTM has developed a culture of innovation and how creative and entrepreneurial ideas are encouraged and supported at the museum. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's lovely to see you. This is really exciting. I wasn't (laughs) sure when you asked me to do this what it would all be about, but now we're here. It's going to be wonderful, Elizabeth. But first, as ever, I have to ask you some icebreaker questions because that is the rule of the podcast. I, I understand. Okay. So if you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would you choose to be? Oh, on top of a ski mountain. No question. Oh, you're cold. Oh, so this is fabulous. So we're recording this in the run up to Christmas, uh, <laughs> listeners, and it is snowy in London. So this yeah, is fabulous for you. London does not have the the slopes or the incline that I would like and the powder does not remain on the ground for long enough (laughs) and let's face it trudging through London in the snow is not like being at the top of a mountain skiing down it is it no it it's not as beautiful (laughs) as it might be walking around my local cemetery before it melts (laughs) not the same no okay good so would you rather travel back in time to meet your ancestors or go to the future to meet your descendants? Ooh, that's a really good question. I probably want to do both. I'd like to go back in time because some of my ancestors traveled across the plains in America in covered wagons. And I think that just slightly blows my mind. They even took English antiques with them. It just doesn't seem right, all that pain they went through here in London. Um, And uh, yeah, the future would be really good too. So, oh my God, that is absolutely fascinating. It's part of it's part of our lore. Yeah, and I love that you've come full circle as well. So they they, they trudged all the way over there, and you've trudged all the way back. I know. I don't. Yeah, I don't know how they feel about that, but I'm I'm, I'm making the eastward migration. All right, and we are like as I mentioned, we're recording this just in the run up to Christmas. So, what one thing would you most like to achieve in 2023? Well, in we're working on our five-year strategy right now. So I'd probably most like to land that, be very clear about our forward direction of travel and be kind of aligned with that view with a bunch of, you know, happy, engaged, enthusiastic people. Excellent. And that is, well, that sets the tone for what we're going to talk about on this podcast today. But unpopular opinion first, what have you prepared for us, Elizabeth? Um, Dark, unsweetened chocolate is much better than milky, sweet chocolate. So the nastier, the better. The more bitter, the less sugar, the higher the cocoa. What percentage are you going? Are you going 85 and higher? Yeah, 85%. Yeah. Or 90 if you're really, really brave. I like this unpopular <laughs> opinion. I'm, and I'm going to say I don't know how unpopular it is because... We made a bit of a shift over to dark. So my husband is a massive chocoholic. Like if if a pudding on the menu is not chocolate, it's he's not he's not having it. And and if chocolate is in the house, he's eating it. 
but he made the switch over to dark chocolate because he can eat a smaller amount and it actually satisfies his cravings quicker. That's so true. he would be with you on that. And I, I oh, I'm sorry. Like I thought I was going to be unpopular. I'm a, well, I'm you might popular. be. This is just me. Yeah. You, you might be. I, I'm with you on it. But listeners, like, let us know. Are we going dark chocolate or milk chocolate? My kids are not happy with this decision, <laughs> but there we are. I buy, I buy the chocolate, so they they just have to get on board with that. They one. have to lump it then. They That's the rules it. of the house. Or All the right, grandparents good. indulge. Excellent. Excellent unpopular opinion. Let us know, listeners, if you are with us or with Elizabeth or against Elizabeth. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about your role at the London Transport Museum. Okay. Um, well, I'm the Chief Operating Officer at the London Transport Museum. That's um, two acronyms, COO and LTM together. I think a COO is kind of do everything and anything role. So for me, that's strategy, forward planning, capital projects, innovation, DNI, green agenda, safeguarding, and basically all the all the internal stuff. And so I get to poke my nose into everything, um, anything that needs kind of help, support or advocacy, really. Um, And and I'm also the deputy chair of Kids in Museums. So I get to be on the other side of the kind of governance table in in that role. It's a big remit what you have on your plate, isn't it? I hadn't really considered how many different hats that you would have to wear on a daily basis. And I think it's different at different organizations. So I, I was really uh, fortunate. It was a new role that I, when I came into LTM. So you get to shape a role yeah. if you're not just picking up what something has been done before. So that's useful. So I could just add in all the stuff that I really wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's a dream role, right? <laughs> I, would, I would like this and all of these things, please. Yes, exactly. So we had a little chat prior to talking today and this was really the driver for what our conversation is going to be about today but you said that culture was the driver for why you joined the organization so I really want to talk about kind of culture and innovation today what what was it about the culture at LTM that really appealed to you what what made it really stand out well I I read somewhere that 75 percent of people consider a company's culture before applying for a job that was really interesting and, you know, generally, organizational cultures, you know, values, beliefs and attitudes and, and all the things that influence how people behave, really. So, it, you know, it's authentic. It's how how an organization responds in a crisis, how teams adapt, how, how people interact. And it's also one of those things that's a real top indicator of employee satisfaction. So it's a real top reason people, you know, stick around and stay in their job. So it's super important. So what attracted me to LTM, and this was uh, four and a half years ago, was this kind of can-do attitude. Um, I really liked the entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, people were really nice and um, struck me as genuinely collaborative. And there was a real openness. I, I was struck by this, um, by the people I met, by the kind of process I met when I first met you know, Sam, the director. It was like genuine good people vibes. And I, I didn't feel there were any barriers um, or, or that people were precious. So all of that really kind of struck me. It's interesting that you mentioned entrepreneurial because that's not often a word that is associated with museums or culture or heritage. Not not in the sense of, of I don't know. Yeah. 
not in the sense of sometimes how they view view things if that yeah I think it's really interesting and it's part of what attracted me to LTM and it's part of what drives us all it's it's absolutely great um and one of the first things I did when I joined um is ran a series of workshops to kind of codify you know our culture because all of this stuff was just brilliant but it felt like it needed to be pulled together so and I'm kind of a self-confessed strategy geek so we got everybody together and you know ran a series of workshops and went and entrepreneurial was so key to how people thought about what the museum did and their own roles so so was uh the word playful which is something that the people had had used a lot and it was in various documents and things so those two things together were really important and then other words like um, collaborative, active, courageous, and inclusive came out as, you know, partly it's how people describe themselves and partly it's kind of aspirational, right? So all of that, um, you know, I worked with everyone and, we, and I kind of came up with a strategic framework that we use. Um, as I said, it's kind of codifying all, all of this. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned is that, that, that the culture there is kind of forgiving and encouraging. How did you define that as part of these kind of strategy workshops? Or was that already defined before you, you kind of arrived? Oh, that's interesting. Did I say that? Those are, those are really good words. <laughs> there are really good words. <laughs> They're really good words. And um, I think what that means is um, it's an environment where creativity is really encouraged. So our purpose, which we've kind of defined in this, in this process I mentioned, is igniting curiosity to shape the future. You know, it's always there. It's in the ether, right? A culture. So you're mm-hmm. what you're trying to do is always is is ensure you understand it and then you know develop it in different ways. So I I think we have a culture that people really thrive on ideas and making things happen. I think now thinking about it, I, I really underline courageous as an important word too. Um, and also having just navigated through COVID. You know, I'm really acutely aware of my colleagues, what they've been through, what so many people in the sector have been mm-hmm. through, just keeping it all together and keeping the show on the road. So I think courageous is something we, a word we use, and I think it's, you know, increasingly, you know, more important and, and valuable and accurate. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned creative there, which is interesting, because one of the things I want to delve into a little bit is about the innovation and the, and the culture of innovation that you've created. So we had Pete Austin uh, come on from Imperial War Museums, uh, quite a few, quite a few episodes back now. Um, and he talked about innovation in marketing. And one of the things that he really stressed is that a lot of people hang on the idea of innovation as always being something new or a, or a new idea or a big idea. But actually, innovation can be about making what you already have better. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important to hold that in your mindset is that it's not just about the big and new and shiny. It is sometimes just about a small change that's really innovative in the organization with something that you're already doing and just doing it in a better way. So I wanted to kind of understand what 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 does innovation mean to you from 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 your perspective and for the org from the organization yeah that's a good question and um one thing is so important that it's not about innovation for innovation's sake Mm. always have to have a a purpose and an outcome that you know that's why you're doing it so it can't be gratuitous so I think it's really difficult to define. And there's a whole industry around innovation, isn't there? You know, writers, businesses, agencies, yeah. people who help you define it or harness it or 
provide methods or just basically hand it back to you, right? So, but I, I'd probably go back to defining it as, um, you know, as a new idea, or but it can be a concept or a product or a method. You know, as you say, it can be incremental, you know, yeah. little, little, those little twists, but also, you know, it can be disruptive, it can be radical. And, you know, but I think it has to lead to some kind of change, you know, or, or improvement. I think there's an element of um, agility and adaptability that's required too. And, um, and going back to the idea of kind of courageousness, it, it needs to be an element of, kind of bravery. Um, you got to take some risks because it's, it's changing something. It's, you know, the safe thing is just keep doing what you're doing. The brave, courageous thing is, you know, push, push the boat. Yeah. Try something new, you know, yeah. experiment, pilot, innovate. I'm a real big believer in all of that. Um, and, and then I, there was remembering this like great quote. I don't know who it was. Some strategy guru said, um, whenever you see a successful business, someone once made a courageous decision. Yes. Yeah. Very true. I like that quote. But maybe somebody can tell us who said that. <laughs> Let's know, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> it's an excellent quote. We'd love to be able to attach it to somebody. Find it. Find it. <laughs> yeah, it's true, isn't it? And I think um, that that what you said about courageous, it, it, start, it, it can be a really small move as well, because I guess there's a, an element of courageousness needed when you bring ideas to people. You know, your team will be empowered by you to think about ways that they can be more innovative, but they do have to be courageous in, in coming to you with a an idea that they might they might think is a bit out there or they might think won't be accepted that well. Who knows? So there that it starts off a really small level, doesn't it? Or a small a small a small part. It does, and it goes back to the culture of the organization too. So I think there are different ways to can unpack this, right? So going back to talking about, you know, articulating your principles. So entrepreneurial and playful, for example, there, there's a lot in this. So entrepreneurial is priding yourself to be financially sustainable. You know, we earn 80% of our income. So we have a really diversified income stream. So it really helps in periods of uncertainty, a great shop, corporate membership, hidden London, you know, which was originally a tour business. Now it's a, you know, whole multi-channel experience, right? And then playful is a is a is a brand, strong brand. Um, it's a word we love. Uh, uh, we fully embraced it, kind of in, in all levels. So you can see it in the marketing and the product, our tone of voice, you know, programming, um, all, you know, all those things. Um, so that's a, you know, that's a lot to play with. And then. I really think that innovation can come from from anywhere. So the challenge, as you kind of say, it's about how you bring those ideas forward. You need to have ways that people can meaningfully input, right? And you can do this in so many different ways. We can, you know, consultation. So you, you know, ask for input or co-creation. So you're working together on something. Um, and you need some kind of systems, right? You know, just if you have a, a creative proposal a, a format or a form or something it needs to kind of go somewhere it needs to be looked at it needs to be discussed it needs to be responded to you know all that all that stuff plays together really I, I think about this a lot actually <laughs> I can tell <laughs> no I really you know it's because I think because my my background is 
you know, as kind of creative person, you know, I started in, in advertising, I moved to the BBC, I, I've led creative teams, I've always done that. So yeah, I think you have to have both the strategy and the values. And you have to have the kind of systems and processes. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I, I sensed that you, I didn't know this about your background, but I sensed that you might have had a creative background because the way that you've talked about how you would approach certain things is the way that I have been taught to approach certain things yeah. from my kind of graphic design background. So I, I did wonder if you'd been trained in a similar way. Yeah, exactly. And that's why um, I get really excited about this. <laughs> that's why I... The most fun I have in my job is my meetings with my head of design. (laughs) (laughs) And they always overrun and we always come up with all these great things. And then um, then we have to step back and, you know, apply all the principles and the financial sustainability and the models and everything. But well, well, that that actually that leads me to a really good question. So you like one of the questions I had was, how do you how does London Transport Museum approach innovation? Like, How do you encourage ideas? And you've talked about you know, workshops and co-creation stuff. Like, how do you, how do you overcome the challenge of choosing and managing those ideas? You know, you said, you you know, you can talk for endless hours with your design manager. I'm sure there's some incredible things that have come out of that. How do you refine those ideas and, and choose which ones you actually bring to market or bring, you know, bring to the organization? Yeah. Good question. Million dollar question. (laughs) Um, You've got to be agile, I think. Not all all ideas also come up at, at convenient times to fit into, you know, yeah. annual planning processes. So, um, you know, that said, I think you could build flexibility into your processes. Um, it's really important that no is not your default answer. So, um, which is true in parenting as well as business, yeah. isn't it? Yes. Good advice, yep. Um so what's an example of that? So this year and last year, we staggered our planning processes to allow for early ideas to come out that were you know, unfunded, you know, don't worry, we'll, we'll just want to hear what they are. And that gave them time to be kind of shaped uh, opportunities for like the fundraising team to look at them, um, nurture, develop. Um, so that's one, you know, as I mentioned, love a good workshop with lots of post-it notes but um yeah seriously there are so many ways to generate and iterate and and choose ideas I think that the other thing is that you really need to delegate down to the people who are the creative engines too you know you have to be and that's rich coming from me because I like to get involved in all this stuff right (laughs) so but I you know I know when and where to step back and so good example our social media um manager super super fabulous basically pitched starting a tiktok channel so yeah go and do it and it's just taken off phenomenal um, oh great so the downside is she's just been poached and she's gone off to a oh, new so, watch, <laughs> so watch this space in the new year we're, we have an we're gonna have an opening um retail i mean our retail is to oh, die, your right? shop is fabulous i there, so um there is a gift under the tree for my dad from your shop <laughs> from it for this year it is absolutely root, brilliant root master of pjs uh no excellent oh. piccadilly line socks because it really good memory so my dad is not a fan of the of the of the underground so we used to drive to arnos grove get on the tube there and so we could come directly into covent garden on one tube 
just want to. So the Piccadilly line holds good memories for me. It holds um, good memories. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, the Moquette uh, socks in a box is a good one too. But, you know, all of those products, they're just fabulous. And, you know, we have great brand icons to play with, you know, granted. And it was really, really helpful of TFL to open the Elizabeth line um, for a number of reasons. It's, you know, whole new product line <laughs> and obviously all made for me. So I, my, I think my husband's drawing the line at the Elizabeth line moquette sofa in the living room. Oh, I, so I saw the I saw the chair in the shop and was like, that is, it's a bit of me. I'm not going to lie, it looks fabulous. Is your whole house kitted out in the London Transport Museum memorabilia? No, I think the divorce court would be fine. <laughs> um, I just don't, I don't have the room. I do have my mug, like, um, you know. Small Lovely. bits, small bits okay. that I can uh, channel. <laughs> um, yeah, but all you know, all that said, you know, another team which is super creative is the Hidden London team. It's a little, you know, juggernaut, and you know, has its own internal, you know, experts like Chris and City, and they, you know, they we pivoted during lockdown. They launched a YouTube channel. It's just had its hundredth episode. We're now now doing a telly series. You know. And, the, and all the guides, they all are so kind of really inspired and about finding new sites and new tours and new facts and new ways and ways to communicate with people. So you just need to enable that. And um, and that's what, I, you know, I think our culture does. And, you know, hopefully the systems we put in place, you know, give people freedom and all the right motivations to kind of innovate. It's nice, isn't it? Because the way that you've talked about it, you've got these kind of like mini teams that work within the organisation. You know, you've got merchandise and hidden London, et cetera, and your social media. And then I guess that they're, I guess they are inspired by the things that those other teams are doing as well. You know, that, that how hidden London had to pivot uh, during the pandemic is, is hugely inspiring to, you know, the social media team or the shop team about how they promote their product products and things. So then you get this kind of crossover of ideas and entrepreneurialism across across the organization. Yeah, it's a real synergy. And it goes back to being clear about your purpose, I, uh, you know, I believe. And we we talked a lot um, about how certain things are kind of in our DNA. Um, you know, boards are really interested in that and trustees. So going back to that idea of you don't innovate for innovation's sake. It's all consistent and relevant. So um, the the shop and the products are just as interesting um, and relevant and researched and authentic as, say, our learning programs. So, you know, our learning programs are doing um, quite a bit around our green agenda and sustainability, sustainability of London. And you see that mirrored in products that are ethically sourced and sustainable practices, et cetera. And, and of course, we're all here about public transport, which is you know, the green way to travel. So, and that's about the future of, of London and, and the exciting bit about, you know, what's the kind of city that we want to live in. So all of this is, is uh, you know, synergistic, isn't it? Past, present, yeah. future. And um, that's what I think makes it so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is super, super interesting. And and I think what, what I love about the organisation is how many different remits it actually has that you don't think about. Like you don't, you know, you come along and it is a fantastic museum to walk around. It's really engaging. It is very playful. Obviously, everyone always highlights the bus and the, and the things that they can do. But you forget about the other remit of 
actually you are highlighting transport which is sustainable and green and you've got a you know requirement to be showcasing that and explaining that to people about what that means for for London. Absolutely. We're an educational charity, but we have all this great stuff behind us. We um what's one thing that's different about LTM from other um museums is the corporate membership and sponsors that are linked to TFL's pipeline. So that gives us a whole other way to engage. Um we have thought leadership programs, kind of Chatham House, house rules type thing where we're kind of a safe place for bringing together people to talk about the the future of, of transport and London. Mm-hmm. Um, so yet another thing people wouldn't necessarily no. know. Um, and so that's that's why my job is so so cool. <laughs> it's super <laughs> cool, tiring, um, super cool but tiring. Yeah, and actually that touches <laughs> on something else that we should talk about because you talked earlier about you know people having to pivot during the pandemic and. Well, you you set yourselves as a purpose fueled organization through the pandemic. That was one of the things that we talked about prior to this. Mm. And one of the things you mentioned is that you're all still doing a lot more with a lot less than you had, um, which obviously can cause burnout. How do you maintain that from a cultural perspective? Um, You know, how do you maintain a healthy culture without you know, you're, you're asking people to kind of give quite a lot and being in, really engaged with the organisation, but we're all kind of running on a little bit of empty. How do you kind of maintain a healthy culture, make sure that people aren't getting to, to burnout stage? That's a really good question. And I'm also reminded of that, that other quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch <laughs> and dinner. So as we go into, you know, I'm pretty I, I feel like I'm pretty high energy as we're going into kind of all the workshopping and thinking about our strategy. You know, I, I do look around and see all of life. This is, oh, myself, God, I drink so much coffee now. So it's a really good question. We're all dealing with it in the sector and all businesses, right? And next year is gonna, going to be hell. I mean, when we when I listen to this in 2023, I'll probably be like, oh my God, it's even worse than I thought. <laughs> Um, so first, again, I think about this a lot. So first, um, you have to give permission to slow down, to slow the pace, have uh, realistic, what one of our trustees calls heroic targets. Don't have heroic targets, have realistic targets. Then change your plans if there are external um, issues, you know, for example, we have a real issue with slow recruitment right now. We have support from yeah. from TFL HR. You know, we have uh, some back office support from TFL. It's also quite, quite interesting. But it also means when they stop, we stop. And so that that's been a real a real challenge. You cannot hire people quickly when you have an opening. That that's an issue. So, and in a small team, that will just grind you to a halt right so you have to recognize that uh second i think we have really good ways of working so we have you know a people plan we have uh working groups comprised of people from across the organization we we use our strategic uh principles you know like we're here for everyone and we go the extra mile but we also have deliverables with that and you know we have an annual survey we, we kind of we try to stay on top of of, of these kind of issues. So think about what you're measuring, I guess, is another way to, to link to that. So we have an, in, an inclusion index and a well-being index. 
and it gives us a little, you know, a, a kind of sense of how things are going. Not that, you know, we wait around every year to find out what the score is because, you know, you're always getting that kind of feedback. But so is that, that, that index comes from kind of continual asking people how they are, like, like, like a mini surveys through the yeah. year? Yeah, well, that's a kind of annual survey, but we know that's important. So we're constantly, we're working on it in different ways. So it has lots of kind of, you know, action plans and activities around it. So we're really conscious of well-being and kind of inclusion and the things that help with that, that culture. Um, I think regular communication then is another thing. So my big insight is um, whatever you're doing with communication, there can be more, it can be different, it can be better. And it could be even more regular than it is. So, you know, I'm all, I am I often think, oh, but I know we, we, we shared that with people, but if they didn't get it, then you haven't kind of shared it right. So we have a weekly email, we have Zoom sessions, we have in-person, online staff forums, departmental meetings, you know, chats in the corridor now that we're yeah. back and we have corridors. And then I guess the last one, I'd say uh, uh, really listen and adapt. So. When people say, oh, that's the problem, you know, really listen and change. Um, And, you know, I would say the way we're going about our our five-year strategy right now um, has taken that into account. So we can't make that deadline. I went, oh, okay. So I kind of redesigned what we're doing and gave more time. And, uh, you know, it has to work. Otherwise, if we all fall over, (laughs) there's not going to be a strategy. (laughs) The, the communication thing is so important isn't it it's it's interesting because because you know we we've run very very different organizations um but that was the one piece of advice that we were given by um so so I run an agency I'm a member of a, lo- a number of agency networks during the pandemic they were incredibly supportive to all of the agencies under their membership and you know, the biggest piece of advice they gave was just over communicate, over communicate with your team, over communicate with your clients, just let them know all the time what's happening, how things are, you know, because, because people just needed reassurance. And the only way they that they could get reassurance was by talking about things openly and having that two way, you know, two way dialogue. So yeah, just can't stress enough how important that is. Um, And a lot of organizations don't get that, don't get that right. They don't have enough time you know, with their line managers or enough time with their colleagues to talk things through. That's so true. And I, I think we stepped it up during COVID, really, because, you know, initially we just had to. We were, you know, online with Zooming and, you know, living from our bedrooms, et cetera. But we started doing a weekly, well, three times a week, you know, email out to all staff, wherever they were. And then it became weekly. And then it's improved to kind of, a you know, this bulletin that is... um you know, quite good. I hope people, you know, I know people read it. Uh, we, we, we basically send it to our trustees so the sense of everybody's in touch. But yeah, you cannot over communicate. No, I love that. What would be your advice for organizations that want to fo- foster a, a more, a, a culture of innovation more? Well, on one level, it's probably simple behavior theory. Um, encourage and celebrate creativity right reward the thing you want to have so that's something to think about and and then I think a more sophisticated approach is focusing on that triumvirate of uh, culture strategy and capabilities because they all have to work you know you know together 
and then I'd probably go back to that little kind of, you know, MOT for a healthy culture, you know, that permission to slow down, you know, have a plan, think about what you're measuring, communicate, 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 you know, and listen, and then, you know, adapt. That would be my, yeah, my little thing I run through in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent advice, Elizabeth. Thank you. Do you think, just thinking about what we said about, um, you know, creative background. Do you, do you think, do you look for people with, with a kind of creative background when you're hiring? Do you think that's quite important for an organisation that is quite driven by innovation and driven by being, you know, quite entrepreneurial? Well, I do. <laughs> now, I, I hand everyone a paperclip and they sit down and say, give me 10 reasons, 10 things you can do with this paperclip. <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. Um I think it's important, you know, we all get stuck in these kind of structured interviews and which capability am I assessing and this and that. And so I'm my default is, you know, stick innovation in there and because it happens, it needs to happen in every yeah. job and every role and at every level. So it's never one, one department. And, you know, and it might go back to my early, early life as a young whippersnapper in advertising but you know there I I never believed in the creative department and then everybody else I think advertising pigeonholes people so I was you know mm-hmm. I really liked moving on and becoming you know going on the other side and being the kind of I guess more the marketing director type role at the BBC which is commissioning and developing and producing you know I want you know and I I always thrive being around creative people and they can be in any job, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, innovation comes from anywhere, any department, any person. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, the places that get that right, um, and I'm not saying we always get that right, or I have always done that, you know, brilliantly in everything I've done, but I think the places that get that right are the ones that really succeed and keep, you know, people are happy. They have a culture that, you know, you're you're enthusiastic about and excited about, and you you know you want to you know go that extra mile and all those things that you words on the page that don't really mean anything unless it's it's been lived. That's a really good point, isn't it? Because I think you know there there is a it, when you work at an organisation, you take ownership of it, don't you? And if you're encouraged to be part of it and you're encouraged to share your ideas, um, share your innovation, it becomes yours you take a level of ownership of the organization that you work in because you've been able to input into the ideas and you can see those things actually happen yes and I'm you know just thinking about how you might kind of slightly shift your culture if if you need to do that and tweak that I mean it's a bigger it's a bigger change program really you you, you know you everyone is part of that kind of um shift but I think it's it can go back to those stories that you tell and you celebrate. And also you can't define what stories people want to tell about your organization, right? They, they, they're just out there. But if you, if you try to, you know, give some of that focus and pick the things that you're really proud of or that our uh, teams are proud of and are examples or exemplars of, of that kind of creative and innovative culture, then it can start to be what, you know, what you're known for. You know, I mentioned the, the, the shop or, uh, the learning programs that are kind of blowing me away right now or, you know, Hidden London just kind of firing on all cylinders. Those things get us talking internally and mm-hmm. excited. And then, you know, that 
that works outside too. Yeah, I love that. And as we end our podcast, you mentioned stories. Yes. Uh, I always ask my guests to share a book that they love with our listeners. What would be your book for us today? Well, um, can I have two? No. You can have two. <laughs> well, it's Christmas when we're recording, so I will be kind and generous and let you have two. I know that you've allowed others no, to I, have two. Because I'm so weak, Elizabeth. <laughs> You're so weak. You're so generous. You're so lovely. Uh, one that I mentioned when we met was this book, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. And it's just so good that I think if people haven't heard of it, they should they should pick it up. I mean, he he wrote The Tipping Point and um, Blink. And he's just a, an excellent writer. He talks about data in such an interesting way. But this this book is all about um, big questions in history and psychology and has case studies about Fidel Castro and Sylvia Plath and Bernie Madoff and campus rape. And I guess it's a bit dark. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, why did Neville Chamberlain think he could trust Hitler? You know, there's just, there's just so much in this book that's super, super interesting. Excellent book. My other one is I just bought this book for my son, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Now, I read it when I was a teenager and it had a huge influence on me. I think it's a it's my first dystopian novel. So I'm I'm just reading it again. And um, my son may not get it <laughs> or it'll be you've so done, well. You've done the classic buy a gift for someone that you're keeping. Yes. Yeah. No, I realize they're both very dark. What does that say about me oh no I mean I, I'm actually quite optimistic generally. yeah but you maybe you just need a, an outlet to channel the dark stuff and that you can do that by reading these books and everything else is is fun and light yeah that's it the dark <laughs> side I, I, I probe the dark side <laughs> between the pages <laughs> great books all right listeners if you would like to be in with a chance of winning Elizabeth's two books then head over to our Twitter account and retweet this episode announcement with the words, I want Elizabeth's books. And then you can share in her darkness. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Elizabeth, thank you so much. It's been a, a joy to, to speak to you today. Thank you. I'm, I, you. I know how incredibly busy you are. So I'm very, very grateful that you could come on and spare us some time just before Christmas. And I am looking forward to seeing what you accomplish in the new year. I definitely know you're going to hit that strategy and get that get that up and running. So no no challenge there well thank you so much Kelly this was fun and I guess anyone who's uh thinking about coming on I would say it was not as painful oh. as I thought it would be <laughs> excellent recommendation <laughs> you can write that on our uh, on our apple ipod recommendation list that would be excellent not as painful as I expected quote yeah quote <laughs> <laughs> thanks um thumbs up no thank you very much for having me I, I really enjoyed it Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.